It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hi, folks. Be sure to visit my website at dr-history.com for a short personal video message to listen to the latest stories and to leave a comment. Well, it's time for Dr. History, and Dr. History is brought to you by our dear friends at Burley Veterinary Hospital with Dr. Scott Morley. He did a great job on the radio last week. His friendly, knowledgeable staff working on the big animals and the small animals, they take care of all of them. They are your family veterinarian, and they're located at 2869 Overland in Burley. The telephone number to call, 678 Burley Veterinary Hospital. Here he is, ladies and gentlemen, with all of his radiant glory, and I'll turn up his headset so he can hear. Can you hear? I've got to turn it down. Well, now, now you've got to turn it down. Are you ever satisfied? That, that's perfect. Okay. <laughs> good morning, <laughs> Dr. History. Good morning, Zeb. Ay, ay, ay. So, uh, a couple of people to thank. Uh, and I, I don't know if I'm going to pronounce this name per, uh, properly. Akin... Genya, Genya, from Ankara, Turkey, Zeb. Wait a minute. Turkey. Ankara, Turkey? Yeah. yeah. They're listening to us right now. Probably. Can you speak Turkish? Not even a little bit. (laughs) Just say the common international word, no. No, (laughs) no comprendo. So anyway, nice. How did they get a hold of you? Well, just through the, somehow through the podcast. Oh, my goodness. But anyway, uh, so they commented about last week i talked about john coulter and they said that uh coulter actually landed in missouri he got married and he was approached by the john jacob astor expedition well that's the guy that wrote the song john jacob Jango no, Heimer. no 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 Zip. I see. <laughs> john jacob astor <laughs> expedition they invited him to go along but he didn't want to he'd, he'd had enough well, I can uh, imagine after he had to run naked through the thorns. Right. And he actually died of jaundice. He did? Yeah. At what age? Uh, I don't know the age exactly, but uh, I, I think he was in men, his 60s. Some of those mountain men didn't live very long. No, I'm thinking he was in his 60s. I see. But I also want to thank Bobby. He wrote to me, and we talked about the National Anthem program that I did several years ago, and... I had come across some information about the National Anthem, and I used it on the show, but I didn't know where I got the information or who uh, who 
who they said send this. it to you? Uh, yeah. And so, anyway, we did some research, and we think possibly it was from Paul Harvey Jr., but oh, we're still not sure. Okay. So, anyway, I'm trying to give credit for where I get some of my information. So to, Absolutely. So, you don't want to plagiarize anything. Right. And today's show is comes uh, information from the Internet and from Time Life books. Wow. So I, I have to use a lot of different resources, magazines, books, and the Internet to for the show and so i i yeah i don't want to play Do you have a big library at home oh i have a huge library is it more organized than what i have here zeb mine's in alphabetical order oh, i can go to find that book just like that you're serious i am you're making a mockery out of me <laughs> well you do have a menagerie in here. i too can go and find a book if you give me three days <laughs> I give you enough time <laughs> So we're going to continue with, this is part two of the Trailblazers and the Trappers. Right. Okay. So when we finished last week, we talked about Manuel Lisa and John Coulter. And uh, Manuel Lisa eventually died. He actually died in a health spa. Uh, and But he had a piece in the fur action originating out of St. Louis. Mm. So the next guy to come into play after Lisa was a Virginian. His name was William Ashley. And he took the step of pushing the American fur trade and really the knowledge of the geography of the Rockies and beyond. So um, uh, with Andrew, he had a partner named Andrew Henry, and uh, Ashley proceeded to organize his own outfit, which became known as the Rocky Mountain Fur Company. I've heard of that. And that's a fairly well-known... Didn't they come to Idaho over yeah. in the Preston area? Oh, they came all through this that's whole area. That's what I thought. Yeah. But then 1822, Ashley had a newspaper article, and it said that he was soliciting services of, quote, enterprising young men willing to go into the wilderness. So he recruited a, a pretty good bunch of men that are well-known, Jed Smith, Jim Bridger, Tom Fitzpatrick, Hugh Glass, the Sublet Brothers. Now, wait a minute. Stop on Hugh Glass. He made quite a historical event for himself, didn't he? He did. Wasn't he the guy that had to hide out in the dead buffalo and everything? Okay, well, I'll mention that briefly. Okay, okay. I didn't mean to interrupt. Yeah, uh, there's some, a little controversy on that one. And, oh. But we'll, we'll talk a little bit about okay. that. So you had the Sublet Brothers. You had a guy named Edmund Rose. And... Uh, now, the, some of these guys were somewhat respectable, but William Sublet, uh, he was serving as a constable. His uh, brother William um, um, was only 21 years old, uh, had, hadn't done much of anything. Jim Bridger uh, was actually uh, an apprentice to a blacksmith, so he really hadn't done much. Um, anyway, in the spring of 1823, Ashley led these tough but green men. They didn't know much about the West or the Rockies. They hadn't done that no, before. No, huh? And so there was about 62 of others besides those. They led them out of St. Louis, and they planned to go up the Missouri River uh, to the Yellowstone country. And there they were going to just spread out and, and do trapping, just spread out two by two or even singly. But on May 30th, they arrived at the river villages of the Arikara Indians near present-day North and South Dakota, the border. Hmm. And they kind of blundered into a battle between the Indians and the mountain men. Oh, boy. And the cause of this fight has never really totally been understood. Only uh, one fact is that the Arikaras had for years been hostile to the white men. More specifically, they had a grudge against some fur traders who had protected two or three Sioux warriors a few weeks earlier. And this was at a time when the Sioux and the Arikaras were bitter enemies. 
and they didn't like the fur traders uh, protecting the Sioux warriors. So anyway, when Ashley's party arrived, the Arikaras were still in a warlike mood and had some 600 warriors in their village, and Ashley had 70 men. On the oh, mo- the odds were even. A little, yeah. <laughs> on the morning of June 2nd, the Arikaras attacked uh, Ashley and his group. Uh, the Arikaras completely routed the Americans. They killed 12, and the oh, other was uh, forced to leave, to, yeah. to flee. And uh, anyway, Ashley immediately headed back downstream and sent off a plea for help. And in response, there was a guy named Colonel Henry Leavenworth, and he assembled uh, six companies of the infantry, about 200 men. And as the relief force uh, came to be called uh, the Missouri Legion, they proceeded upstream. And by the time they got there, they'd also picked up 700 Sioux allies, so you know. So the Sioux Indian tribe sided with the American government, right? Because they they didn't like the Arikaras. Oh my! Yeah, and then what? Fifty years later, everything changed. Right. So by now they had about eleven hundred men, but this Colonel Leavenworth was not what you would call a very good commander. Uh, after some skirmishing, the Arikaras slipped out of their village at night, and by outfitting and outmaneuvering the trappers and their allies. The Arikaras damaged uh, the prestige among all the river tribes. Uh, anyway, the traditional river routes to the mountains were now closed to fur seekers, and if he still wanted to get into the fur business, his only option was to head directly west, overland, uh, through the Rockies. Uh-huh. So in the fall of 1823, Ashley put the survivors of the Arikara defeat on horse and muleback and sent them deep into the Rockies. So this act of simply simple necessity turned out to be another permanent feature of the new style Western fur business. So moving men, supplies, and furs between the mountains instead of along the Missouri River, uh, this is why they did this. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around. A watch she can wear every day for movement. Whether mom's into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, movement has something she'll love. And right now, you can save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with up to 50% off site-wide during movement's Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com. Uh, so they had pack trains and wagons. And with so many uh, other developments in the fur trade, it also produced a fresh uh, burst of land exploration. And within a few years, uh, trapping parties led by Tom Fitzpatrick, uh, these guys, they were heading into the remote Wind River country. Um, and this is where they discovered a pass uh, in the Rocky Mountains called South Pass. If they turned these guys loose and they had no clue what they were doing because some of them in their former life were blacksmiths and everything else, how did they know what to do? Well, I, I don't know, I, unless it was just learning by experience. Wow. You know, but uh, anyway, South Pass is what uh, where the Oregon Trail went. Yeah. And so what they explored and found 
uh, turned out to be the, a path for the Oregon Trail. Wow. So, and as they got into that country, one of the main problems they had were the Blackfoot warriors. Oh, they were the, bad dudes. Yeah, yeah. So in order to keep uh, contact with his far-flung fur brigades and possibly to be sure they would not be tempted into trading with uh, any rivals, Ashley told his men that in July of 1825, he would meet them at Henry's Fork on the Green River with a caravan load of equipment from St. Louis. There he would pay them off uh, for their previous month's work, pick up their furs, and re-outfit them for the next season, 1825-1826. And at the same time, since no trapping was done in the summer, they could just kind of lounge around and not do too much, just rest up uh, during the summer. So most of the fur trapping was done throughout the winter. Where'd they get all the funding? Uh, well, he he paid, he uh, outfitted them. I see. Uh, actually outfitted them. But then when they came in with the furs, he would pay them and then re-outfit them for the coming year. I see. So... But Ashley let it be known that if Indians, white freelancers, and employees of other fur companies wanted to sell the furs at Henry's Fork, pick up supplies, and join in the fun and games, they were welcome. And so this is what became known as the Rendezvous, and which, of course, is a mountain man experience. And uh, the, the, they had it usually at different places throughout every year. Like they had it at Fort Hall, Jackson Hole, Pierre's Hole, another place called Horse Creek. So the rendezvous uh, of the Rocky Mountain Fur Company uh, were at different places. How did they get the word out to all these mountain men where the rendezvous was going to be? The only they call them on their cell phone or something. Probably, but you know they didn't always have service. So uh, I'm thinking that the year that they had the rendezvous, maybe he said, "Okay, next year we're going to meet at Jackson Hole." I see. Or uh, you know, I, I don't know. Uh, unless word just spread, you know. Communication in those days was far better than what it is today, I exactly. think. Exactly, yeah. But the American trappers had explored the mountains of the west from the eastern slopes of the Rockies to the Sierras, uh, with California to the Columbia River, I mean, to the Mojave Desert. They they traveled a long distance. Uh, they were the first man men uh, in the badlands of the Great Basin, Yosemite, the Redwoods. And so they brought all their furs to this rendezvous. Right, yeah. But they had to travel, you know, long, long distances. And now I'm, you mentioned about uh, Hugh Glass. Yeah. So, he, and by the way, folks, if you ever watch the movie The Revenant, that's not the way it happened. Really? Yeah. Uh, it's Hollywood. It is. So Hugh Glass was mauled by a bear. Uh, uh, two men, uh, Jim Bridger and oh, I can't remember the other guy's name. I want to say Tom Fitzpatrick. They were they were given sixty extra dollars to stay with him until he died. They figured he would just die because he was so badly mauled. Well, after two or three days, he was still alive. And Bridger, just being a young man, uh, Fitzpatrick, uh, I think that's who it was, talked him into just leaving. But they couldn't just leave him. They had to take his gun, his knife, his blanket, his gear. Why would they take the necessities that he needed to live? Because they figured he was going to die. And if they showed up to, with Ashley and they didn't have all of his gear, they'd say, where's his gear? He's dead, right? Oh. You see? So anyway, uh, Glass, uh, was he was not very happy with those two men. Oh, imagine that. And his, his goal in life was to catch them and kill them. Yeah. Well, but, that was part of the movie, wasn't it? Yes, but he never killed either one. He didn't kill Bridger or Fitzpatrick. Oh. 
and he didn't have this big fight at the end of the movie. Like I say, that was don't even pay attention to the movie. Okay. All so right. anyway, moving on to Jim Bridger. Now he liked to boast that he was the first to discover the Great Salt Lake. Yeah. And he was uh, one winter night in eighteen twenty five. Eighteen twenty five. They were camped uh, in the Cache Valley, uh, just not too far from the Wyoming border. But two men in the party made a, a bet. Uh, that the course of the nearby Bear River, you know, where did it go? So to settle the matter, uh, Bridger ran to the river, and uh, he uh, paddled down it, and he came to this big bay, and he tasted the water, and he found that it was salty, and he returned to the trapper's camp to report that he'd come across an arm of the Pacific Ocean. Oh, boy. But wouldn't you think that, Zeb? Here's salt water. I mean, logically, you'd think, okay, this is part of the Pacific but anyway, uh, finally they did uh, go down there the, the next year, and they did find out that it was uh, uh, part of the Great Salt Lake. Right. So, um, you know, the verification of who found what when, that's pretty hard to verify. It is. Um, you know, there's a couple of myths out there. One that I discovered just a few weeks back is that, you know, we get the impression that most mountain men were illiterate. In fact, there was about 13, only about 13% that were illiterate. The really? rest could read and write and kept journals. Like, for example, Osborne Russell, he kept a journal. Um, there were others that kept journals. Are some of these journals available on reprints to read? Yeah, there's a book that I've used quite a bit. It's called Journal of a Trapper by Osborne Russell. Wow. And he talks about uh, his experiences... Um, he was, and I, I told you this story a long time ago, Zeb, because you always remind me about it. Yes, I do. And <laughs> you don't even know what I'm talking about. Not really. <laughs> okay. <laughs> this was the, the group of men that were up by Henry's Lake, Osborne Russell, and about a dozen or 20 other trappers. And they came around by Henry's Lake, and they were attacked by Indians, and they were, they were going to get wiped out. But one old uh, French trapper took off all of his clothes oh i remember that yeah i knew you yeah. i knew you'd remember so he jumped up and he started yelling and screaming and they thought he was nuts yeah they thought he was crazy and he started charging towards the indians so he, he was nuts he was and he <laughs> charged towards them and the uh, other trappers jumped up and they started running and and the indians just uh, left well how would you feel yeah i mean this was you know but uh you know i talked about john coulter how you know he wrote about his experience or somebody wrote about his experience how come all your mountain men stories everybody's running around naked i don't know oh. it's just uh just something i seem to <laughs> go to but uh anyway there, there's a lot of stories about these mountain men that are recorded by themselves. And another myth I found out is that typically when you see a mountain man, a picture of a mountain man, he has a big long beard, right? A yeah. long hair. Not so. These men, uh, they a lot of times were clean shaven because if you think about it, about lice and ticks yeah. and things yeah. like that. Yeah. And, uh, you know, so basically they cleaned themselves up fairly regularly. Did they use a Bowie knife to shave I, with? I have no idea, yeah. but they, you know, they could have had some kind of a razor, uh, one, you know, one of those old razors that they 
that you see that the, the old barbers. Used. You and I have talked about this, and I'm plumb serious when I mention this. They had, they being the mountain men, must have had the most tremendous sense of direction right. for the map making and everything they did. I'm amazed. Yeah. And uh, they were tough. They were, for example, I remember one story where uh, three mountain men were caught in a blizzard, and all they had was a buffalo robe. And they laid the buffalo robe down, and they all laid next to each other in this buffalo robe. But because of the heat from their bodies, it melted the snow. So they were basically laying in water in this buffalo robe. But the comment that one of the men made was that uh, we slept fairly comfortably. We slept fairly Fairly comfortably. comfortably. I see. (laughs) In a buffalo robe Uh in water. Wow. So they didn't have very many social amenities. No, they didn't. But the, of course, the rendezvous that we've talked about, that was the time to get together. That was the time when uh, Jim Bridger over at Jackson Hole, um, uh, Dr. Marcus Whitman was coming through. And Jim Bridger had an arrow in his back. Oh, I remember this story. Yeah. He, he'd been shot. He had two arrows. One, was yeah. a, one they got out, but the other arrow was still in his back. And so uh, he just laid down over a log, and uh, you're making me sweat. Doctor Marcus Whitman dug that out. Cut that out. Yeah. Of course, he had some ample supplies of liquid, adult liquid refreshment. Uh, it doesn't say that. I see. But it could have happened. I see. The thing that's interesting is there were some other trappers that were watching, and they also had arrows still in them. And so pretty soon he had a lineup of other men wanting. To dig out arrows out of their. If bodies. they were up trapping and they broke their legs, they were basically done. Done. Yeah, and like Hugh Glass, you know, like say he was just mauled within pretty much dead. Wow! But uh, he managed to crawl to a creek where he could get water. He crawled. He found a, I think it was a buffalo or an elk carcass that had been gnawed on by wolves, and he gnawed on it and was able to survive with berries and whatever he could now the misconception of going by themselves you said uh, i think on a couple of programs ago they went like two or three or four more together uh i think it just depend on the situation you know some of them may have gone uh two or three or four together and then maybe split up and then come back and say okay we got and then maybe together they would go back to the rendezvous but a broken leg would just be a death wish. Right. I mean, you, you were going to get gangrene and yeah. infection. Yeah. And, I mean, even if you did get back to your partners, the chances of survival would be, you know, pretty much done. Oh, and same with gunshot wounds. You know, the uh, uh, even if it wasn't a fatal wound, the infection and the gangrene would set in yeah. to where, you know, you were pretty much done. Did they have any kind of uh, home remedies for some of that stuff? You know... The Indians had uh, different herbs and different uh, ways to treat this, different types of uh, poultices. Yeah. And so if you could get to an Indian village, uh, a lot of times you you could make it. And there were a number of uh, situations where the Indians saved the lives of some of these men with broken legs and with gunshot wounds. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Holy cow. So. Well, you're always interesting. Uh, we've got a minute left exactly. And, uh, you know... I, I find this pretty interesting, and I'm wondering if maybe we ought to do a part three. Yeah, no. Who would be in part three? More of Coulter? Or? No, no. The next guy that I see here is a guy named Jim Beckworth. Oh, I know about Jim. He was the first black trapper. Okay. Wasn't he? Um, I believe he was. 
You know, I haven't read far He was African-American uh, trapper, and I've got a picture of him in my library, of which I can't find, but it's okay. here someplace. Yeah. Um, well, here, a little further down, I'm just reading, he says, His skin from constant exposure assumes a hue almost as dark as that of the aborigine. I, I'm pretty sure he was uh, African-American. I really think he was. Well, I'll, you know, you we'll just continue that. this uh, next More week. More about Jim Beckworth on our next program. And a little further, we're talking a little bit about Kit Carson. There you go. He had a TV series. He did. Yeah. Yeah, pretty famous. Hey, I want to tell you how much I appreciate you, and you sound better this week. You're not sick. No, I'm doing better. Yeah, you doing do a good. lot better. Okay. Yeah.